Thank you for coming out this morning. It was cold. It was snowy. There was a thousand excuses. But you bypassed them and came. Thank you very much. You know, uh, I always like when God gives me a topic, I like to find what I feel like he wants preached to that congregation. And invariably, I have those questions that pop up. Is this really the right thing? And I love when the songs match what I'm going to preach on. Um, but when the um, song leader got up this morning, his first comments about how Satan's trying to fight and keep people out of church, I thought, you're taking my points away here. You know, I'm glad that we can have a relationship with God where we can actually have a relationship with God. And I would challenge all of us from young to old to really monitor that and keep it. I oftentimes have encouraged young people when they first become converts or they're trying to find their way to God, think of something that you want or need that you don't know how to get. I'm not talking about the pink Cadillac, but think about something and then start praying about it and then watch. You know, a lot of times we ask God for things and he gives them, but we weren't watching for them and we don't know how to thank and praise him for it. We just kind of went on with our life. But if I can help a young person to see that God does actually answer their prayers, they begin to understand that God is involved in their life. And then seeking his counsel and seeking his guidance and reading his word becomes so much more emphatic and so real to them as they grow spiritually. But the world's out there telling us there is no God, he doesn't talk to you, come talk to our counselors, we'll work through you, it's only 600 treatments and 50 years of uh, every, every week we'll have you come in and we'll talk about it again and again and again. Um, and, uh, but don't talk to God, he's not really real. Uh, I'm so glad that you can learn that God is real and he does help and his program, I just dropped the mic to the floor here, I'm doing really good this morning. His program works for eternity. And so our goal through him We've got to stand here in one place because we can't get this to stay on here. So this morning, our, our goal is to talk to you about the fact that, yes, Satan is trying to attack the church. And he's not just trying to attack the church, he's trying to attack each individual here. But our Savior that we've been singing about and hearing about this morning cared so much about every one of us that he prayed for us to be able to make it. And he still prays. The Bible tells us that he sits before the Father and brings our needs to him. So that's the kind of support system we have as Christians. I'd like to go back to Christ's prayer in John chapter 17, verse 13. John chapter 17, verse 13. Christ is aware that by the next day, he's going to be facing some of the most brutal treatments, most embarrassing situations, most fraudulent claims that he can ever imagine. I don't know how you feel when you have an interview with a boss and there's been a challenge about your credibility. And I don't know if you just slept well the night before, uh, if you um, said it doesn't matter, told your wife it doesn't care, or told your husband or told your children, don't worry about it, it's nothing big. I'm going to get tore apart tomorrow. I may lose my job. I may may go to court, it's hard to tell what they're going to make of all this, they're lying about me everywhere, but it's okay. I don't know about you, but I wouldn't handle it that way. 
I mean, I would be thinking about all the intricacies of the problem and where it could go and what could happen and what could be the results and what, what I need to do to prepare for those things in the next six hours, right? You know, because it's the night before. And yet, when we read Christ's prayer, think about it. He spends more time, and I'm going to read some of it, he spends more time praying about you and I, those that believe that aren't alive yet, he says, you and I, he spends more time praying about us than he does about being able to handle the cup that sits before him. That blows me away. I can't imagine how somebody could love me so much that in the midst of the worst thing they could face, their main concern is my benefit. That's the Christ that we serve. And he says, he's talking to God in his prayer here, he says, and now come I to thee, and these things I speak in the world, that they might have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them thy word, and the world hath hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Think of the identity you have with Christ. I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from the evil. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify or purify them, make them holy through thy truth. Thy word is truth. As thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them into the world. And for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they also might be sanctified, made holy through the truth. Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word, that they all may be one. As thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. I'm going to pause just for a moment, and I hope you're catching all his love for us, but that repetition that Christ is praying about us being one with him and with each other. And he points out the, the critical part here is that is what's going to convince the world that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Have you ever thought about the fact that our unity as believers with him and with each other, Jesus said that's what will prove to the world that I was actually the Son of God. I'll tell you, there's a lot of emphasis here on how critical it is for us as Christians to be united together and united with him. And he says it's not, it's not the signs, it's not the power, it's not the logic. The world calls it foolishness, but they'll never get around the fact that my followers lock together and stay together and support each other and, and follow my teachings like I followed Christ, God's teachings to me and, and I'll say, I'll be, I'll, I'm willing to do what's necessary to sanctify so that I can sanctify them. We're all coming together in the unity that he wants to see. He said, when the world sees that, they can't deny, whoa, that must have been God. That must be the Son of God. And we're in a world that's throwing all kinds of adages and, and campaigns against the teachings of Christ. Friend, we can try to defend ourselves against them, but you can waste an army to, in defense. 
But the army of God was called to stand together. Not to necessarily defend themselves, but to stay active in the calls of God and the armament and the processes that he gave us to follow. We can't argue with all the world's arguments because it comes from foolishness. And, they, and our arguments don't make sense to them. But what they can't do, over and over again, what they can't do is pull people together to serve in the same direction for very long. You can have mobs, but you can't have long-term mobs. But the people of God, Jesus said, if they can come together and line up and enjoy unity together and with me, that's something the world cannot look past. It calls to them. It's the desire of every human to be part of a group that has a purpose and function. That's how gangs form in the homeless world. That's how uh, mobs form, incidentally. That's how nations can crumble and fall apart when there's no sense of direction or leadership. Friend, the, the greatest thing God gives to us is the power of God as our leader and commander and his son, Jesus Christ, as a captain of the host. And when we line up and, 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 and follow and adhere to the things that he's teaching us and encourage and strengthen each other and stand in unity together, the world cannot do anything better and it sees what it really needs in the depths of its own heart. That attracts the world to the things of God more than anything else, is seeing the love that we have for each other and the love that we have for God. They so want to experience that kind of love and purpose in their own life. And the glory which thou gavest me I have given them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them, thou in me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that thou hast sent me and hast loved them as thou hast loved me. Father, I will that they also, whom thou hast given me, be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory, which thou hast given me, for thou lovest me before the foundation of the world, O righteous Father, the world hath not known thee, but I have known thee, and these have known that thou hast sent me, and I have declared unto them thy name, and will declare it that the love wherewith thou hast loved me may be in them, and I in them. So his whole prayer, the majority of it, is about you and I, our strength of purpose, our direction for life, the success of that, and he's, he's basically asking, God, all the inheritance you want to give to me, I want to be able to share it with all these followers. So I don't serve a God that I can't even talk to, don't know what he means. I wait to see where he drops the bomb next, so I know not to go there. I don't serve a God that is angry with the other gods in their environment. I don't serve a God that tells me the best thing you can hope for is to hit a place where you don't feel anything. I serve a God that says, I, I'm going to give my life for you. And I'm going to give a purpose to your life and I will stay with you and I will give you a spirit that will guide you. Because when, when you follow me, I'm going to get you to a place of glory you won't be able to imagine. It's not just a dead policy program. It's a living function. The church and Christian and salvation. So, And then in Acts chapter 2, verse 1, And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. So I, I kind of bring that in because I want to tell you it can be done. Someone shared with me this morning, Floyd, that I think he's been married 72 years. I believe that's what he told me. Floyd here. 
Does his wife recognize that? Yes, okay. She's nodding her head also? Okay. Um, you know, I tell people, we've been married 45 years. Uh, I was, we were at a place not long ago, and the fellow said, 45 years. I said, yeah, it can be done. You know? There's a whole world out there that tells you it can't be done. You know, you got to go through three divorces before you get to the right one. Then you don't marry them. You just live with them because you don't want to get married again and have to go through a divorce again. But yeah, it can be done. And I want to encourage you as a church and as believers, there's a whole lot of feelings and history and background that says there cannot be unity in the church. It's just regular to have division and splits and all the rest of it. Acts chapter 2 verse 1 says, and it happened. And it happened. They prayed. They prayed a lot. They sought God's will. They got out of their own heads. And they became together. Same pattern. So when we look at this, we realize that first of all, Satan is successful at destroying Christians and churches. It doesn't take much travel to see a closed church anymore. Used to be you saw new churches being developed. Communities would have publishings in their newspapers about, we have a new church coming and we're looking forward to this. And this is a statement of the confidence of our community and how safe we are and, and, and the, uh, the mindset and the intelligence and the growth and, and the good nature a church brings. Now we see them closing left and right. You see churches becoming theaters and saloons and art museums and all kinds of things, but you don't see them being coming churches. And you, you know, after a while, you start to think, oh, that's just where things are going. But we need to get our head back into the Word of God. Because there are always ebbs and flows in anything that happens. But God has promised us that the church will never cease to exist until he raptures it out. And he tells us that in the last days, Daniel says, the church will do just extravagant things with God's power. So you know what? They might be closing churches down, but that means there's also more opportunity for this church and for other churches that are existing to reach a population that doesn't have a church around them now. There's a whole community that doesn't even know, a generation or two, that doesn't understand the power of what God can do. But you do know that, so you have the right and responsibility to share that with those that don't know. So you might look at it as everything's going down, or you might look at it as everything could go up. And you serve God, not a motivational speaker, speaker, not a policy program, but you serve a God that can take the, the mountain and turn it into a flat place and can take the sea and turn it into a dry place and can take a lox of food and turn it into a, a forgotten memory. You serve that kind of God. And he tells us here in his prayer, if you want that, come together. Come together. Come together. Come form that unity. Form that unity with him, with his spirit, with his purpose. Study his law, his word. Satan's successful at destroying churches, but he can be defeated when Christians and churches resist Satan and call upon Christ. Christ will answer our prayers, but we must follow his lead. It's not just saying, here I am, Christ. It's like, where do I go, Christ? You know? We can't be unified if we're just sitting on a couch. I mean, you might be able to pray on a couch, but again, you're not just sitting on the couch. So when we call upon Christ, we have to open ourselves up for his leadership and accept his leadership and do what he asks us to do. We stand strong with him, that we stand strong in the spirit and the love of God, and that we stand strong together and make all the difference in the church. 
I want to share a simple pattern of how we can stand strong together. This is about principles of working together. It's meant for you as a church, but the same principles can be applied to work, to marriage, or to relationships. A number of years ago, I read a book on leadership. Um, some of you, Seven Habits of Highly Effective, I can't remember all the terms, it was a long term. But when I began to read the book, I thought, this is the Beatitudes. And a lot of it was, based right off of the Beatitudes. Friends, our word of God, if you study it, it applies to today because it's eternal truths. If you open yourself up and begin to read it, you'll be amazed at what God can tell you, how to help in your marriage, help in your workplace, help with that child rearing, help with your finances, help with your health. There's a lot of truth there. God just gives it and brings it, but he can't force it on you. You have to hunger after it. And so in this, I'm, I'm, I'm using an acronym, CAST. CAST is the acronym. I like to use acronyms because it helps me remember what I talked about. Helps me to get through what I'm talking about. Alerts me when I got off track and I've created a longer word than what I thought I had there. So it's for both of our benefits. Hopefully it'll help stick in your mind and it'll help me to get through it quick, quickly. But when God gave me that, that term, cast, I thought, well, okay, well, how can I describe that? And I thought, well, there's three things that came to mind. There's casting a fish line. There's a cast of actors. There's a... Um, cast for a broken bone and then it hit me oh my that kind of defines trying to get along with other people you know casting a fish line is like I didn't get one 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 sometimes trying to get along with people is like didn't work didn't work didn't work didn't work but then when you catch one whoo roll that thing in Hold it, take pictures, you know, do one of those photo ops where you're holding it way out like that and they take a picture and it looks like it's six foot long and, you know, every man's fisher measurement tape is different in the field than it is in real life. So, uh, but I mean, it just makes you start casting all over again. Oh, friend, if you've ever helped lead somebody to Jesus Christ, there's a thrill that you will never experience any other way. A lot of casting. Oh, I'm tired. I'm bored. No, no, no. Keep casting. Casting like a group of actors. Sir, are you trying to put together a, a promotional video for us, sir? No, not going to do that. But I have found out something, that when I want to get something done, it's hard to find a person that can do it all themselves. You typically have to pull a group together. And you have one person that helps to facilitate, one person helps to, to propagate, and one person tries to, to make a potential showing of it, and, and another person, he, he publishes and gets everything out there for us. And, and, and then everything comes together. But on their own, it just doesn't happen. I, I think that's why Jesus said we're a church of people, not individuals. He really, we have an individual relationship, and the first thing he does is go get baptized and join your church. He said, I'm coming back for the church. I'm going to take you as individuals, but I'm coming back for the church. Over and over and over again, he reminds us, we do not stand alone. We're supposed to be standing together. His whole prayer here is about how he can save us as individuals and give us power and all those things that we need. But he wants us to be able to stand together. And he knows that's going to take a lot of concern. But you know what? I want you to look around the congregation. He's put you together for a reason. You say, well, no, that person can do everything. No, they can't. That song that we just had this morning wasn't like the choir. 
wasn't like the congregation, but I believe that man struck our hearts, every one of us. You say, well, he should have sung like a choir. No, the choir should have sung like him. No, no, every one of them had their own gift to bring. And in giving that gift, we were blessed repeatedly. We were encouraged. We were challenged. You know, the more we begin to understand that our, our brother, our sister, uh, we don't look down on them because, well, they're slower or they're faster or they're OCD or they're ADHD. No, no, no. All of those things have gifts, but it's up to the, the choir master to help assign where they go. But for me to argue and say, no, don't, no, no it's only going this way. Wait just a minute. What kind of unity is that? So there's got to be a group that comes together. And, the, and God is going to put that group together. He'll call them. He'll forward them. And he has a job for each of us to do. He has things for us to do. And all of us have to function to be able to produce the message in a way that our community, our church, our family can understand it. You know, you can get a group of people to read Shakespeare and it'll bore you to death. But you get the right actors together and it kind of interests you after a while. Sometimes the word of God does not make sense to the world because they're only hearing one voice. But when they begin to see people that love God working together, functioning, it catches their attention. And suddenly what one speaks, it, it gets them over here. And somebody else says something and it strikes them over here. And all that begins to influence and direct and guide them to the hope of God and the plan of salvation. Not that I'm saying that don't be the one to speak if God moves you to speak, but friend, always value the cast that he wants you to be a part of. And then cast for a broken bone. Well, it's restrictive and itchy, but it helps to heal and grow stronger. Folks, sometimes being part of a group and trying to get unity means you can't do everything you want to do. Sometimes you might struggle with the restriction of brother so-and-so. He likes to have the volume way up, and I can barely stand to sit in church anymore. Oh, my, there's cotton available. There's a way to work with brother so-and-so and help him hear what he can hear, and you can turn it down if you have to if you're concerned about unity, but if you're just concerned about you, he then you can have your little rebellion and march out at the end of the service and fluff your hands and let brother so-and-so know and we get your hearing aid fixed. Just kind of gouge him every once in a while and say, I love you, brother. <clears throat> so if we're going to have unity, if we're going to draw, it's gonna, it sometimes feels like nothing's happening. Sometimes it feels like everybody's a star except for us. Sometimes it feels like our part's not any important. Sometimes it feels so restrictive and so... But friend, if, you, if you've set yourself to the cause, that's the first, the C. What is the cause that you're here this morning? There's a primary cause. There's a particular cause. And there's a personal cause. Just think of it that way. So in this matter of cause, there's a scripture where Jesus is talking and a lawyer comes up to him. Must have scared Jesus to death. Worries me all the time. And the lawyer came up and stood up and tempted him saying, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? What is his cause to inherit eternal life? Right? I mean, you, you kind of grab that. That's his cause. He wants to inherit eternal life. 
And he said unto him, Jesus said unto him, What is written in the law? How readest thou? And he answering said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy strength, and with all thy mind, and thy neighbor as thyself. And he said unto him, Thou hast answered right this, do, and thou shalt live. But he, willing to justify himself, what was his cause? Said unto Jesus, And who is my neighbor? I'm asking you, friend, what is your real cause? Is your cause to protect you? Is your cause to lift you up? Your primary cause or purpose should be to serve God, but it could be to be popular. It could be to be rich, beautiful, handsome. It could be to be politically correct or politically incorrect. What is your real cause? And it's a part of revival, a part of a stirring of the heart is to sit down with God and start thinking about what really drives you in life. You might be here this morning because that's what your grandma told you to do and you just can't break from, you don't want to hurt grandma. You might be here this morning because you heard about the meal that was going to happen afterwards and now you found out it's not here and you're, oh, i got to go, I'm so hungry. You might be here because you love God. And when you walked in and saw a smaller congregation than normal and saw that I was going to be the speaker, none of that mattered because you didn't come to hear me. You didn't come to, to see a large congregation. You came because God told you, I want you to go to church this morning. I want you to be a blessing to others. I want you to get blessed. Now open up your heart. And even this, this idiot up here behind the pulpit, he might say something that will make you feel good about God. You didn't come for any of those. And so the cause of your life, you'll go home, you'll start Monday. And your cause is, God, what do I do today? But you have to ask yourself, because someone said, take your wallet and take your calendar, and you'll usually see what your real cause is. Where do you spend all your money, and where do you spend all your time? So, you know, it doesn't take much. Think of what you find fault with other people for, and turn it around and test yourself by that same rule. We need to know what our real cause is. Because if we don't share the same primary cause as a troop, a group of people, we'll come into conflict. And we'll, we'll be adamant about our cause. Sometimes we won't really, like this lawyer, we won't really say, I'm all about protecting me and making me look good. We'll say, I, how do I get to heaven? And everybody goes, oh, he's a saint. And he goes, don't embarrass me. I'll get really mad if you embarrass me. Then we find out what the real cause is. They get really mad and storm off. So what's the primary cause? What's a particular cause? Well, you've got a group gathered together, the primary cause. Let's just assume everybody here came because they want to serve God. Some of you are Sunday school teachers. Some of you are youth leaders. Some of you are prayer partners. Some of you are concerned about the finances of the church. Some of you uh, are, have gone through a, a period of, of depression and discouragement, and you're coming, oh, I need build up. My particular reason for being here this morning is I need encouragement. I need some help. And some of you are so overflowing, wanting to help other people, that you came with the idea, I want to I want to look around. I'm going to watch. And, and if I see somebody that God puts his finger, I want to go talk to them and just pray with them. I want to encourage those people those particular causes that God has called you some are ministers some are song leaders choir people you came for the you came to serve God but you also came to do that part in a choir 
So guess what? You're in the choir, and the choir director picks a song, and he says, let's sing this song. You say, I don't like that. I can't sing those notes. It's, no. I can't say those words that well. And, and you kind of turn, and it comes your turn. You're the tenor, you're the bass, you're the soprano, and you go. What happened to my song, the choir director thinks? You're the Sunday school teacher, but you don't like the material you're using. You don't like your students. All right, let's open up our Bible and let's try to read it if you'll behave today. Anybody need to go to the bathroom? If you're a Sunday school teacher working with the Sunday school board, if you're a choir member with the choir director, if you're on the prayer team, you have to have unity within that group too. So if God called you to that particular reason, set aside yourself, go back to your primary cause. God, I want to honor you as I'm a Sunday school teacher. I want to honor you in the choir. I want to honor you in witnessing to others. I want to honor you with fixing meals, whatever it might be. Lord, I, I want to honor you as I do this job. Help me to have unity with those around me. You say, well, that person, they're so slow. Well, then help me to slow down, Lord, and learn how to help them. They run so fast, Lord, help me to catch up with them. Lord, I don't, I don't want to create a division here. I want to, how can I? You know, most of us can learn to be better in anything we do if we try to maintain unity with others because it always pushes us somewhere, helps us to strengthen, develop, become more, less about ourselves and more about others, which is what God asked us to do a long time ago. A personal cause that God has taught you as a Sunday school teacher that you, you can communicate with stories better than anything else. Or maybe with crafts. Or maybe you're more technically minded and you're able to put together some, uh, a video or something like that. Or you're able to sit down with them and analyze the scriptures. And, and some of those students, they just love listening to you describe the scriptures and get into the history of it. And others love that story making. And others love that technical aspect of it. But whatever the particular cause that you're in under the primary cause, there's a personal part of it. You know, we don't all act the same. We each have gifts. Some of us can relate to people where other people can't relate to them. And you need to let God use your personal skills. Some of those he tells you that's really not what you want to do. Don't get trapped in your personality. God can change it too. But the thing is, there's individual ways, and even in that level, I want to have a unity. I don't want to become so stuck on my personal way that I turn everybody away. This is how I do it. Lord, I, I, you know, when, 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 this, when I was reading this sermon, number, or this not this sermon, but this scripture a number of uh, months ago, and God hit me right up beside the head with something I did almost 30 years ago. I felt called by God to a church. God answered my sheep's skins that I laid out like Gideon, you know, well, make it go this way, make it go that way. One after another. I mean, he just one, just one right after another. It's like, okay, this is exactly what I'm supposed to do. I was so confident in going to that church and taking that responsibility, and I was so thrilled with it. But I want you to look. Jesus is ready to face the cross. It's what he came for, but he prayed about the people that were coming with him. And when I read that and thought that, God brought that thing up from 30 years ago and said, you didn't pray for your kids or your wife. 
and what you following my will was going to do in their life. And I began to think about that. If I had prayed about that, I would have had to think about what might be the problems they would face. And then I might could have made preparation to make allowances and to have done things to keep... Oh, I just got lower and lower and lower, <laughs> thinking, oh, I could have saved a whole lot of grief if I'd have only thought. I was so confident that it was what I was supposed to do, and I still am. But I just didn't take the time to think of the others with me. So God calls you to become something, and he gives you that opportunity. Friend, pray for the others around you. You say, well, it's not that. Oh, boy, you're going to mess their lives up. You know, all of a sudden, you're excited about something they have no part in. God may want you to up your attention to them. He may want you to increase your involvement with them to kind of help smooth those ripples out. You know, that's not mine. This is mine. No, no, no. Your calling, your primary calling is to honor God. And Jesus prayed, dear, please, dear God, help these people to stay together. So even in following God's calling, there's personal responsibilities. I've got to take before God. The next one is acquired knowledge. C is the, the cause, and then we have the acquired knowledge. What do you mean? Uh, Jesus, if you remember, was risen early after he was crucified, a few days after the scripture we just read. He appeared first to Mary Magdalene, and she went and told them, the disciples that had been with him, and they mourned and wept, and that he appeared in another form unto another two people. And they went and told the disciples, and the disciples refused to believe them. And then Jesus spoke to them about their unbelief and hardness of heart because they believed not them which had seen him after he was risen. So acquiring knowledge is when you get saved, when you accept Christ into your life, you don't petrify at that point. You have a lot to learn. You have a lot to learn. The one thing that's not in Scripture is your opinion. Because God knows we've got a lot to learn. Our opinion is not that important to him. He usually wants to redirect us on that. So there's a personal expansion of knowledge about you. What motivates you? I've already challenged you with what your causes are. I always tell people, if you think about it, what is it that you're afraid of? Because in your fear, that's usually the largest anchor that's dragging behind you as you try to move forward with God. And you say, well, I'm afraid of this, but I try to avoid that. That's not how you deal with fear. Perfect love casts out fear. Now think about that. That's another heavy one. Because that means if I have a fear somewhere, my love is not extended. Because you don't overcome fear by being courageous. You overcome fear biblically by love. Oh boy. A whole different angle. So ignoring a fear doesn't mean you've overcome it. It's still there. It's still in the shadows. It's still speaking to you. And almost all of us will move more by fear than we will by love. But we're not supposed to have fear in our life. So for me, fear is a red flag. I got a danger point. I got to go deal with that. And that I've learned a lot. Learned a lot about myself. You need to learn. We need to learn all the way through life. We just stepped out of regular work and retired. And I'm like, oh, this is it. This is all. No, it's a whole new world. My wife says she's getting half the pay and twice the husband. I'm thinking, I'm used to always 
being engaged in doing things and I'm supposed to sit down and I kind of like I'm doing projects I wanted to do for years and couldn't get done. Some of you have been retired for a while. You'll tell me, just wait a bit, it'll get better and better. But you know what? I'm having to learn. I'm having to learn what I shouldn't do. You easily become the bus driver for everybody in the neighborhood uh, and not get the other things done you're supposed to do. Uh, you, you know, you can just sit on a couch all day and die in three years and I don't want to do that. Uh, you know, so you got to learn. As a young person, as a middle-aged, as a parent, as a, a husband or wife, we're always learning. The first thing we've got to learn is about us. What am I thinking? What is my motivation? And then we acquire knowledge of others. So never feel comfortable when you know yourself real well, but you don't know anybody else. Men, our biggest weakness. Women, they know everybody. Men, we usually don't know anybody. You know, I, I remember a guy years ago told me, he said, if you can get to your last years of life and have as many friends as you do fingers on a hand, you have accomplished something. And I was like 25, and I'm thinking, I got more friends than that. Well, now I'm at that age, and I'm thinking, well, maybe. It's hard to keep friends. It takes effort, and you have to get to know them, and you have to work with them. And so acquiring knowledge of others, their motivations, their abilities, how else can I pray for them? How else can I help them? How else can I understand what they're facing? How else can I be their friend? How can I be their support, their strength, if I don't know them? Sometimes I've challenged church people. I've said, you know, whole front row here. Who's sitting behind you? Do you know their name? Most people go, I think it's Granny Jones. Well, Granny Jones, what's her first name? I don't know. Where does she work? I don't know. Where does she live? I don't know. How well do you know your church members? How do you know, do you know what they're going through? How well do you know what they're facing? I have a prayer request and you're thinking, I don't even know who that is. Well, who is that? And, and if you knew them a little bit better, how can you ever have unity if you don't know them well enough to know their name or where they work or where they live or what they're facing? I'll tell you what, a lot of times to tie a church together is to build the relationships between the people. You've got to know each other. And then when you go out in the world, Oswald Chambers made a statement that a Christian, in his book on missionaries, he said a Christian has to know God, others, and himself. If he only knows God, he's of no use and honor to God because he's not doing what God asked him to do. Take it and get saved, personally, and then witness to others. If he only knows others but not God and himself, he's of no use to others because he, he doesn't know himself. He doesn't know how to take him to God. He just goes around to people, bums around. If he only knows himself, he's a narcissistic. He's all about himself. He thinks he's got everything right. That's a challenge for us Christians. We have a responsibility to know, to learn, to acquire knowledge about others that are around us, God and then ourselves. And then acquiring knowledge about God, his word, and his will for you and the world he has placed you in. One time I was praying with a young lady, and she was wanting, she felt she had a call to missions, but nobody was opening doors, the doors weren't open, she was married, she had children, didn't know how she was going to go into mission work. And I was trying to pray with her, and I couldn't get anywhere. I just, I just felt like God put a block right in front of me, and I'm like, what's wrong here? And 
then something struck my mind, and I spoke to her. I said, don't you attend such and such church? She said, yeah. I said, you know, your pastor just told me that you are the best children's worker he's ever had. And she said, I know, but I really feel I should be a missionary. You know, sometimes you can get caught up in what you think you should be doing because you don't accept what God has given you to do because it's not the level you want to be at. I want to tell you, whatever you're doing for God is glory. doesn't matter what it is. I don't even want to try to give a description because every bit of it can make a difference if you do it for God. And only you can do it. That's why he asked you to do it. And it might be that time of life. There's a change that comes. One stage of life, you're able to do these things. Another stage, you have to do other things. You can't do anything for a while. But in all those stages, as long as you're staying clear with God, you're honoring him. The next one is structure. If you're going to get along with other people, you have to understand, as Jesus says, they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. So in the structure... The structure would be like some people wake up early, some people stay up late. Some people rush to do things, some people delay doing things. That's, that's kind of they, how they build their life. Um, you know, you, you go up to their house, how the outside looks, a lot of times how the inside looks. It's also how they manage their finances or their other things. You know, it's just, just how they do things. And they can be very comfortable in that. But guess what? If you don't understand that your structure is not like everybody else's structure, it gets really hard to be unified with other people. So you might have a structure, that's your pattern, a way of living. That doesn't mean everybody lives that way. It doesn't mean they're wrong for not living the way you do. There might be some things you could help them with. There might be some things they can help you with. But the structure, first of all, you've got to get a grasp that this is just you. This is not the right way. This is you, your way. Physical, emotional, mental, social, and spiritual structure. How do you do things? Do you pray a lot? Do you not pray a lot? Do you struggle reading the Bible? Do you read it all the time? And understand that these are things, because once you understand your structure, then you can kind of understand when God begins to give a call to you or speak to you or the church reaches out and puts their hand on you. Yeah, that's something I'm pretty good at. Or no, that's not something I'm pretty good at. And the church says, but we feel God wants you to do that. So you know when you don't know how to do it, that's when you need to go ask for help. Right? Anything wrong with being vulnerable? I can't do it, but I'm willing to learn. Remember, acquiring knowledge, structure. The next one is, where would you like to be? As a Christian, sometimes people say all the time, I just wish I had that kind of faith. I just wish I could pray like that. I just wish I could praise God like that. Do you really? Because structure can be built. I mean, Jesus talks about there's a foundation and you build on top of it. And, and those things will be tested and they'll be able to try it. Mean, rather, I think it's Paul that talks on that, but that, that we can build our life. We build it through him. So if you want to be the person who can pray like that or have that kind of faith, there's nothing in God that says, no, we just keep you trapped down there in the, in the slow level. No, he wants you to grow. He wants you to become. That group you're a part of, they need you to get your horsepower up. They need that help. There's somebody that really prays now that's about to head into heaven, and they need somebody to help replacement. Start getting it going. So what the desire is, Start thinking about those things. What do I really feel like I would like to improve in or become better at? And take it to God and open yourself up and recognize that. And then the structure required by your calling, your employer. I've had pastors that um, they, they're called to pastor, but they, they just don't like to study a lot. They don't like to talk to people. Guess what? It's your requirement. I had someone told me they don't like to go to churches because churches tell them what to do. They don't like them where they're at. 
I said, that's what a parable. I can't believe a church would do that. Have you ever got a job somewhere? Ever got married? Did you ever go to school? But every one of them told you the same thing. So whenever we're trying to work together, we've got to understand and accept the idea that we have to understand the structure around us, our structure, structure we want to be, and, and we've got to be that, understand that, okay, if I'm going to be the Sunday school teacher, I do need to be here on time. I do need to have this. If I'm going to be in the choir, I've got to make it to practice. That's part of what's required. Otherwise, you're causing division. You're causing strife. The last one is trust. And as ye would that men should do to you, do ye also to them likewise. If ye lend to them whom ye hope to receive, what thank have ye for sinners, also lend to sinners. But love ye your enemies, do good, lend hoping for nothing again, and your reward shall be great. So in this matter of trust, I've got to trust you. You say, well, now wait a minute, you've got to earn my trust. Well, he says here that if you trust me because he asked you to trust me, he's going to cover for me. And yes, I do need to earn your trust. That's, that's how humans work. You need to earn my trust. Are willing to accept that? How do you earn trust? First of all, accountability with God and before others. A vulnerability, vulnerability with God and before others. A willingness to say, God, I don't know. A willingness to tell that board, I'm not really good at that. Do you know some books I could read? Could somebody help me with this? You say, I don't want to let them know I don't know those things. Why? All about you? I'll tell you what, as a group, the more we let each other know we've got your back. I'm praying for you. I'll help you. You can, be, you can open up and tell me. I'm going to tell you what, you knit tight. You knit strong. Somebody from the world throws a, a snowball and hits you in the side of the face and you're, you're blinded and somebody's got their arm around you before you know it praying for you. All of a sudden, that snowball is just an instantaneous issue. I can make it. I got a brother. I got a sister that's caring for me. You go to a financial crisis. You go to a spiritual crisis, a marital crisis, whatever it is, and you can talk to a brother or sister and say, can you pray for me? And they say, well, you know, I will. I know we went through something like, oh, you did? Yep. We're human. But we made it through. There's just some things that helped us. I want to tell you what, we are our own counseling group. We're our own wisdom group. We have connection with the greatest authority in the world. You know, Paul makes that argument, why are you running to courts and suing each other? You should be able to sort this out amongst yourself. What was that all about? Staying unified, not dividing up over issues. But if we don't trust each other, if we're not willing to be vulnerable with each other, if we're not willing to have respect for each other until it's proved to the level that I expect, Come on, friend, when you first got saved, you made all kinds of silly mistakes. And those brothers and sisters worked with you. But now you're in that upper legion, and you don't have patience for all that. Oh, that's wrong. That's wrong. Jesus said you'd better be reaching into a fire and trying to rescue them, and don't get hard on them when you pull them out, because you might get trapped in the same thing. We can, we can afford to be vulnerable with Christians. We can afford to be vulnerable with God. And if we're not vulnerable, we never learn. We never grow. We just become so defensive, we isolate ourselves. And he wants us to have unity. Cast. Cause 
acquired knowledge, structure, and trust. Father, I will that they also whom thou hast given me be with me where I am, and that they may behold my glory. Our unity here will make us part of that unity there. Our unity here reveals to the world that he is the Son of God. Shall we stand this morning? Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this congregation and for this church and their influence in each other's lives and in this community. And I pray that you'd help each of us, Lord, that, that we would all seriously study your scripture, your word. Think about the fact that you saw this as such a critical point. Let us not take it lightly. Let us not be willing to let differences come between us, but to fight harder to keep ourselves together than to fight for our own way. We know that there's right and wrong, and there's evil out there. But Lord, you promised to work on our behalf and to protect and help us. We need to depend more on you, call more on your power, search more for your presence, individually to have that cause defined, to be willing to acquire knowledge, to be willing to see the structure and to be a part of a structure. And then, Lord, help us with that great sense of love that we can trust each other, love each other, put each other forward, edify each other, love each other like we love ourselves even more, and love you beyond all those things. Amen.